Amen. Holy is he. Holy is the one that we have gathered together in the name of this morning to worship. Well, we were made for each other. That's what Ashley told me the first time she laid eyes on me. I'm totally kidding. I'm in trouble now. In fact, I think it took a lot longer than that to convince her that there was even a possibility between us. But we were made for each other. We need each other. Those do sound like phrases that two young lovebirds might use to describe their love for each other. But this morning, we're not gathered together to talk about romance. We are, however, gathered together to talk about relationships that are bound together by something much stronger, something much greater than romance. That is, relationships that are bound together by the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place for us that we might be forgiven, that we might be cleansed, that we might be able to enter into the holy presence of of God. As always, it is good to be gathered with the people of the church, the people of Christ, once again on a Sunday, a Resurrection Sunday. In fact, when when we're not here, we ought to feel as if there is something that we are missing. We ought to feel as if we are missing something significant, that something isn't quite right because we were made to come together with the people of God, to worship God, to praise His name, to grow alongside each other as believers. But we belong to each other. In fact, the scriptures are are clear. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, we read a, a picture of the church. And there we read that, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We were made for each other. We need each other. We belong to one another. Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me to a New Testament letter written to the Hebrews. Hebrews is a letter near the end of our Bibles. It's a uh, letter with no self-identified human author, but a very important letter, a letter that uh, very intentionally ties many of the Old Testament practices and laws and ways of practicing faith in God that God had given to His people, ties those to to Jesus Christ, uh, directly communicating how those things point to Jesus, foreshadow Jesus, and ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus. And as we open up God's Word and look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, uh, this morning, the central truth that we will see is that the blood of Christ provides believers, that's us, provides believers in Christ with continual enjoyment of God's presence and with continual encouragement from each other. The blood of Christ provides believers with continual enjoyment of God's presence and continual encouragement from His people. So those are the two relationships that we will look at and examine this morning from this passage in God's Word. The first relationship being our relationship with God through Jesus, and secondly, our relationship with each other as His people. And we'll begin where the text begins, with our relationship with God. Let me invite you to 
stand with me as we look at Hebrews chapter 10 for the reading of, of God's word. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, and there God's word reads this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of, habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, we do pray that you would guide us now by your Spirit as we look at your Word. Would you lead us, instruct us, draw us to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, provides believers with a continual enjoyment of God's presence and with continual encouragement from His his people. You can hear or read the, the flow of thought in this passage of Scripture, opening statements or describing something that has already taken place. You read in verses 19 through 21, since you have this, and since you have this, verses 22 through 25, let us this and this and this. Since we have this, since we have this, let's do this as people of faith in, in God. And then verses 19 through 21, the truth that we see according to God's word is that Jesus provides unhindered access into the presence of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world, provides His people unhindered access into the presence of God. Literally, we read this in verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, since we as people of faith, written to Christians, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, with a the most holy place, also known as the Holy of Holies, was the innermost portion of the temple. It was a place that represented the, the presence of God among His people. It was a sacred place. It was not a place to be entered into quickly or flippantly or lightly. In fact, only one person could enter the most holy place, the, the high priest. And even then, the high priest could only do so once a year on the Day of Atonement and had to do so in a certain way. In fact, hold your place in Hebrews chapter 10 and turn far to the left in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, near the beginning of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 16 spells out instructions for, for how the priest is to enter into this portion, the most holy place God's presence was said to be, On the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Hear these instructions from the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place. In other words, the Lord says to Moses, Tell Aaron, 
whose sons have just died, by the way, because they entered into my presence in a way that I didn't allow, tell Aaron that he must not enter into my presence in a way that he chooses and whenever he desires. It goes on. Behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. Verse 3. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. In the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. This text goes on to describe this process and the specifics of how the priest is to enter into the most holy place and when he's to do it. He must do it very carefully, not only entering at the right time, but in the, in the right way, even down to what he wears and how he prepares himself before he gets dressed to go in here. And all of this sounds a bit strange to us. In fact, it sounds quite foreign to us. It sounds a bit weird to us for this very reason people of God, we often avoid portions of Scripture like this because we may not know what to do with it. But, but don't mishear this. Don't misunderstand this. The reason that we don't practice our faith in God this way, the reason that we don't approach God in this way is not because we have somehow progressed in our understanding or our ability to know God on our own. In other words, we don't approach God this way because we're any less barbaric than ancient people were or have some higher level of moral and ethical ability or, or some greater intellectual capacity to know God. No, the only reason that we as people of faith in God today who are part of the church in the 21st century don't approach God in this way is because of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. Church, Jesus provided the ultimate sacrifice Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who gave His life willingly, generously, graciously on the cross in our place, provided the ultimate sacrifice, the once and for all blood sacrifice in the place of God's people. Taking the sin and penalty of sin and punishment that we deserve. This is the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins that all of these other sacrifices, all of these other goats and rams and Bulls only anticipated, only foreshadowed. Sometimes I wonder, though, in our, particularly in our individualistic and a bit narcissistic society, if we really believe this stuff. Certainly we say that we believe the Scriptures, but all this animals and bloods and sacrifice and Jesus and blood and sacrifice, I mean, is all this really necessary Men and women to know God and to enjoy the presence of of God. And according to the scriptures, according to the word of God, according to the Bible, the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Because of our sin and our rebellion against an eternal, matchless, perfect and holy creator. We have turned our backs against him and Thus, we cannot enter into His presence in any way we choose. 
Anytime we want simply on the basis of our own character, desire, or pursuits. Anytime that we aren't convicted of our sin and the seriousness of our sin, if we've never been convicted of the gravity of our sin against a perfect God, then we have a pretty small picture of the cross. Where sin is no big deal, the cross of Jesus Christ becomes no big deal. The reality is that without the cross of Jesus Christ, all of us are lost and dead in our sin. But because of the cross of Christ and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place, then we can enter into the presence of God and do so confidently, knowing that He has forgiven us and adopted us into His family. And the Bible teaches that as Jesus' body was broken on the cross, as He died in our place, the, the curtain in the temple that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple was torn in two, ripped apart, from top to bottom as a, as a representation of what Jesus has done for all people of faith in Him, that we can now enter into the presence of God. We no longer need a human high priest. That through Jesus, we can boldly enter into God's presence. And this reality, this teaching must have been absolutely mind-blowing for the people of Jewish faith in that time. For centuries, not been able to go into the presence of God. This is a sacred space, a holy place. God must be approached in this way and at this time. All of a sudden now, through Jesus, by faith in Jesus, can approach the presence of God and do so confidently knowing that He has forgiven us and accepts us in and through Jesus Christ. And not only did Jesus provide the ultimate and final sacrifice for us that we might be forgiven of our sins. But we also learn here from God's word in Hebrews chapter 10 that Jesus is the ultimate and final great high priest. Jesus is our great high priest. He is our great high priest. Look back at Hebrews chapter 10 and moving up in the chapter to verses 11 and following. And there we read this day after day. Every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Notice the language there. Sort of this endless pursuit of trying to appease God day after day, again after again. And yet these things don't take away sins. But verse 12, but when this priest, Jesus Christ, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins... He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Though we had sinned and turned our backs on God, deserving punishment, judgment, the wrath of God as a result of our sin, God loved us so much that he sent his one and only Son is a sacrifice that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Jesus, we know, shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus gave His life on a cross and died in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve, but He didn't stay dead. The Bible is very clear that by the power of God, Jesus was raised back to life, raised from the dead, and even now He is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He is our great high priest. He is the intermediary who 
approaches God on our behalf and through whom we can approach the presence of God. Church, Jesus has offered us forgiveness of sins, so let's live in the joy of forgiven sin. As followers of Christ who have gone from death to life, darkness to light, guilty to innocent, unforgiven to forgiven in Christ, let's live in the joy of forgiven sin. The Bible says very clearly in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there's no condemnation. Now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No longer viewed as guilty. No longer condemned, but forgiven. Restored, reconciled into right relationship with God through Jesus. The blood of Christ provides believers with continual enjoyment of God's presence. And because this is true, Verse 22, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Drawing near to Him confidently, knowing that He loves us and accepts us through Christ. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. Church, those who profess faith in Christ are accountable to God for faithful perseverance. So the Bible is saying right here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 and 23, those who profess faith in Christ are accountable to God for continuing in that walk with Christ, for persevering in faith in Christ. In other words, God expects His children, He expects His people who have experienced His forgiveness to, to live in light of their new status, to live in light of who they are in and through Jesus. I think this is what Paul meant when he wrote to Christians saying, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is who you are. You're forgiven. You're reconciled. You're restored. You're children of God. Now live like it. This isn't much different from a parent expecting a child to live as if they are their parents' children or a coach expecting a student athlete to live like a student athlete of that particular coach representing that particular school. God expects us to live in light of who we are in Him. And we are told clearly here to draw near to God and to hold unswervingly to the faith we profess in Him. And because this is true, let's approach God confidently and frequently. Approach God confidently and frequently. Church, we are invited to enjoy the presence of the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, the Holy One who we... Just sing about. We are invited into His presence knowing that He forgives us, that He loves us, that He doesn't look on us with condemnation if we know Christ, but He looks on us and He sees the innocence of Christ. Knowing that He accepts us into His his presence. And this is not just something that we look forward to enjoying at a later date. We certainly do, for we'll experience His presence and the joy of His presence in a far greater way at the return of Christ and forevermore. But this is something that we as believers enjoy now. We come into His presence confidently. We come into His presence frequently, knowing that ultimate and lasting joy and lasting satisfaction, and the greatest sense of peace is found in Him. And enjoying his, his presence. We don't have to run from God. We don't need to hide from God out of fear or shame or guilt. 
Any longer we're to approach God confidently, frequently, boldly through the blood of Jesus Christ, for he loves us. The blood of Jesus Christ provides believers with a continual enjoyment of his presence. And we also see from God's word here that the blood of Christ provides us with continual encouragement from his people. That is from the church. We see this in verses 24 and 25. So let's look together once again at the final two verses of this passage. Verse 24, and let us consider, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, that is the day of Christ's return. Upon first reading it, we might ask, well, what does this portion of this passage have to do with this drawing near to God and this approaching His presence? Aren't these two different things? Clearly, the language that's used in verses 19 all the way through 25 is holding this passage together. Central truths that are being communicated here, and I think this is what it is. I think in some way and somehow, a significant part of our drawing near to God is our drawing near to each other as fellow believers in Jesus. This is because those who profess faith in Christ are responsible for contributing to the growth of fellow believers. Those who profess faith in Christ have a responsibility, not just for ourselves as individuals, not even just for our families and family units, as important as that is, but we are responsible for contributing to one another's spiritual well-being, one another's spiritual growth. This is the design of God. We were made for each other, church. We need each other. We belong to each other. Responsible for contributing to one another's spiritual well-being in the church. And we certainly say this. and We probably all would affirm that this morning, but I wonder how often our practice really supports that. How often we live as if that is really true in our own lives. In fact, Just this past week, I was sent an article from a church member that addressed this very issue. And I read the article, found it especially interesting, written from a pastor, Pastor Art Hines. And he titled this article, The Selfishness of of Skipping Church. I want to read a portion of it. I don't normally read a lengthy excerpt, but this this really hits on something. So bear with me and, and listen to what this guy says. He says, the overwhelming consumerist mentality in our nation has spilled over and saturated the thinking of Christians throughout the church in the United States. More and more believers in America approach the concept of finding and remaining in a church the same way they would handle buying a car, shopping for the latest technological advancement, or choosing a a movie to watch. It says an institution whose founder came not to be served, but to serve has been tainted by a ceaseless drumbeat of what can you do for me? The worship environment, the style of music, the dress code, the church programming, and the overall focus of the church is no longer about the Lord and His agenda, but about the personal preferences of individual church shoppers. He continues, The crisis of commitment and ownership in the American church is reflected in the 2015 Pew Research study that showed a serious decline in Americans self-identifying as Christians. The problem is demonstrated any given month as families who used to attend church weekly and even several times a week now attend services one to two times a month. 
He says, I'm not referring to the shut-in of the sick or those who must work. It is impossible, he says, to build anything of consequence in any sector of society with such inconsistency. Imagine if a construction crew showed up to a building site only once or twice a month. Think of what would happen if physicians and nurses manned the hospitals and ERs only a couple of times per month. Think of what would happen in our education system if our teachers worked only two days a month. We cannot build godly, committed, and society-changing future generations with a selfish, hit-and-miss approach to church. Church, we were made for each other. The church doesn't simply exist for us exists for the glory of God, and we're called to come together in order to, to grow alongside each other as we pursue God and proclaim the greatness and the riches and the goodness of God. For God's design is for Christians to grow in Christ together. That's God's desire. That's His intention. That was His plan for the church, that we as believers in Jesus, as followers of Christ, are called to grow in Christ together to benefit mutually from one another, to encourage one another. Though there is certainly a personal, individual component of of knowing Christ and walking with Christ and spiritually pursuing God, Christian faith is not just about a personal walk with God. It's about coming alongside a faith family in order to know God and to grow in Christ and to glorify God. Jesus Christ together. Notice the we and the us language that is all over this passage of Scripture. Notice verse 19. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence. Verse 20. New way open for us. Verse 21. Since we have. Verse 22. Let us draw near to God. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the faith, to the hope we profess. In verse 24, let us consider. Certainly, get the point. This is, this is communal language. This is about a body of believers, the church, a gathered group of people growing and walking with Christ together. And I'm so glad that this is a church. The Meadowbrook Baptist Church values gathering together and growing together as followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's demonstrated, represented clearly in who we are in our church purpose statement, our mission statement. The Meadowbrook Baptist Church exists to glorify God by knowing God through biblical worship and growing together as disciples of Christ, growing alongside each other as followers of Christ and going out into the world for the glory of Christ. God's design is for Christians to grow in Christ together and God's desire is for Christians to gather often and encourage one another. God's desire is for Christians to gather often, together, formally, assembling with one another, to gather often and to encourage one another. The reality, if we believe the Bible is true, and I certainly do wholeheartedly, then then when anyone who's part of the local church is absent from fellowship and assembly in the name of Christ, then you are missed. The church suffers as a result of People not being here. Your presence is missed. Your encouragement is missed. Your unique contribution to the overall health and well-being of the church is is missed. We were made for each other. We need each other. 
According to God's word, we belong to each other. The blood of Jesus Christ provides us with a continual enjoyment of God's presence and with continual encouragement from his people. And since that is the case, let me encourage you to evaluate this morning your own commitment to Christ's church. Evaluate your own commitment to, to Christ's church. Not someone else's, not the person next to you, not someone else. Evaluate yours, all of us. Let's evaluate our commitment. We're, how are we committed to, to God's church? It's our commitment to His church displayed through our coming, through our participating, through our serving, through our giving, all for the glory of God. And don't misunderstand Scripture here. Don't misunderstand me here. We're not committed to the church simply because we want uh, a bigger budget or because we think the church needs more programs or because we want to support the pastor or because uh, we want other people to think highly of us. No, these are all wrong motivations for commitment to the church. Perhaps these are positive things, but we are committed to the church and we ought to be committed to the church because we love the one on whom the church is built. We love Jesus Christ committed to the church out of love for Christ, not not for any other reason, not for any other primary reason, but because we know Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. We know His glory and His mercy and His forgiveness and His incredible love that is displayed for us. And, And we want to honor Him. We've experienced it. We've tasted and seen that He is good. And we want to serve Him with our lives. And because Christ thinks the church is important, calling it his bride. And we think the church is important too and we value the people of, of Christ. So evaluate your own commitment to Christ's church and as, as you do, let's all of us together as a family of believers make church attendance a sig- significant priority in our own lives. Make church attendance a significant priority in, in your life for we can't spur one another on as we're called to here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, very clearly. We can't spur one another on. We can't prod one another toward love and good deeds. We can't encourage one another if we're not regularly together, growing together, serving together, praising the Lord together, holding each other accountable, providing opportunities for prayer together and Bible study together, praising the name of Christ together. See, the reality is that people of faith in Christ. And this is very countercultural and becoming even more so in our culture and our day. The people who know Christ and love Christ, who have experienced Christ, gathering with the people of Christ becomes more important than anything else. It becomes more important than, yes, even football. It becomes more important than Little League. It com- becomes more important than the lake. It becomes more important than Deer hunting, it becomes more important than whatever. You fill in the blank. All of these things. Don't think I'm criticizing you. These are representations of our culture that are very important to me, things that I love. But gathering together with the people of Christ is more important than sleeping in. It's more important than a a dry, warm house on a wet Sunday morning because we love Christ and we know that we will be missing out and we will be missed if we don't gather together with the people of Christ. Don't mishear me once again. I'm not talking about perfect attendance here. There are circumstances that certainly make church attendance difficult and sometimes even impossible.
possible, but as much as we are able, let's make church attendance a significant priority for us as people of faith in Christ. And third and finally, let's make church participation a personal reality. Let's make church participation a personal reality, for the church doesn't just exist for us to to show up. Church is not something that we are called simply to gather to in order just to be fed or to experience something special or entertainment. No, we're called to participate. This is the design of God that the church is like a body with many members all having different functions that together contribute to the overall well-being of of the body of Jesus Christ. So when we gather for worship, none of us are in the audience. Like worship leaders are just the prompters and together we are joining in the worship of the King, Jesus Christ. He is the audience and the object of our affection and our devotion and and our love. So let's, let's make church participation a significant reality, a personal reality for each of us because we were made for each other, we need each other, we belong to each other. Does your life, does my life display a commitment to Christ and, and to His church? Let me encourage you. We're right in the middle of a time of year in which you have opportunities to sign up for ways to serve in the life of the church. If we're not serving in the life of the church, for the overall well-being of the church, then the church cannot function. The church cannot function without the people who make up the church, who are the church. Let me encourage you to find places, perhaps, that you would be interested in serving. Maybe there are things that you would be interested in doing, ways that you could contribute to the overall health of the church that are not listed here. Certainly, feel the freedom to say, I'd be interested in something like this. If you don't know where you could plug in, where your gifts could be used, I'm going I'm to encourage you. I'm going to call someone out. I'm going to invite you and encourage you to, to come see James Colbert, our discipleship pastor. He's especially gifted at helping people find their place of service in the life of the church. In fact, in our new discipleship program, we have a class that really promotes that and helps us find that, our Go 301 class. And so be looking for that in the days ahead as, as we cover this ground. But church... The blood of Jesus Christ provides us with continual enjoyment of God's presence and continual encouragement from His people. So let's live in light of what Christ has done for us in and through His blood. Father, we thank You for the opportunity once again to gather in Your name, in Your presence, to worship You. Father, to open Your Word. And Father, I pray that you would continue to speak to us, that you would continue to lead us as your people, that we might be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that your blood that was poured out for us, the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out on the cross in our place would would be at the forefront of our minds each and every day, that we would be overwhelmed by the magnitude of your grace, of your gospel for us. Father, may we proclaim your name, may we live in a way that exalts the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, hear our praise now as we respond to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen.